evening, Demon fans, and welcome back to the Demonland podcast. My name is Andy, and well, the streak is finally over. It had been 308 days since we had last tasted defeat, and I had almost forgotten what it felt like to leave the footy dejected, feeling like the world had come to an end. Tonight, we'll attempt to make sense of what happened and what we can do to make sure that we never, ever feel this way again. Joining me tonight to do just that is longtime Demonland contributor George. Good evening, George. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Bin Man. Good evening, Demonlanders. Well, tonight, hopefully, we'll find out whether Andy's MFCSS has returned. And uh, hopefully, between the three of us, we'll uh, manage to discover the solution to our ailments that surfaced against Fremantle. I don't think it's it's returned yet, but it's creeping back in. <laughs> also joining us tonight, uh, uh, Mr. Positivity to my doom and gloom. Uh, good evening, Big Man. <laughs> good. good evening, Andy. Good evening, George. Good evening, Demon Landers. It's a unusual feeling walking away from the G, I have to say, um, processing a loss. Um yeah, different. You soon, you get used to winning, don't you? <laughs> so, and I have to say, I was sitting in the um, uh, on the wing in the sort of very Melbourne area. I guess the whole crowd was Melbourne, and there was a, it was a pretty cocky bunch we all were at halftime. Um, so there was a little tribe of Frio fans in a big empty bay right next to where I was sitting, and uh, they were a happy bunch and well deserved as well. It was a, an impressive performance from Frio. Yeah, it was. It was. Caught me a little bit by surprise. Uh, it's not that I don't rate them. Uh, in fact, I do. Uh, but uh, yeah, as I'll go into it in a moment, I will, may as well go into now. Um, as I mentioned at the uh, top of the show, our, our 70 game, 17 game winning streak Seven. has co- come, come to an end. It was a remarkable run that most of us have never experienced in our lifetimes. The run, of course, contained our drought-breaking premiership win and I'll forever have fond memories of that period. And it's a run that I really hope that we do get to experience again. Having said that, that ran, run came to an end in the worst possible way. It was a total capitulation on our part. Uh, winning a flag and supporting the league's front runner has not made me so arrogant that I can't bear a loss. And I know that there are many factors that contributed to it, and we'll no doubt discuss that uh, those tonight. But I feel that we simply just rolled over. There's no doubt that Frio are a good team, and I would prefer to go down to a decent team than be beaten by some poxy team due to inaccuracy. It truly was a game of two halves. I thought we were a bit lucky to be ahead of quarter time and for once we were the beneficiary of another team's inaccuracy in front of the big sticks. And in the second term, we dominated playing the Melbourne way that we are accustomed to when we got to a 30-point lead. I really thought we were home and hose and I felt quite comfortable chalking up another win and another scalp. I certainly wasn't expecting the tsunami that was to follow. The Dockers then banged on 10 goals straight. And from our 30-point lead, they kicked 13 goals to one, leading to a humiliating defeat that highlighted the collapse of our structures that have held us in good stead for the past 30-odd matches. I kept waiting for the momentum to shift. I was expecting that at any moment we would wrestle with the momentum back our way, as we've done many times over the past season and a half, but the cavalry never came. Losing Ed Langdon last week was always going to put a spanner in the works. It forced us to rob Peter to pay Paul by taking Spargo's forward pressure out of the forward line to play him on the wing and then to lose Tom McDonald a day out from the match uh, and you lose a valuable link-up player as well as a big body uh, to help block for Brown. 
I've made my thoughts clear on the TMAC versus Weed debate and my sentiments in that regard have not changed. I don't think Weed will make it at senior football uh, in this side. Uh, I'd love to be proven wrong, as I've said time and time again, but time and time again, he has failed to make an impact when given the opportunity. Similarly, I don't think we can afford to play Jake Milkshin again. He's served the club very well since coming over. He played some fantastic games for us, but the, the 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 game of footy, I think, has passed him by. Whether we helped him along to 200 or not, I can't say, but I think the team would be better served playing some young blood because we're not getting enough output uh, from Jake. Uh, George, in your match report, you noted that between Sam and Jake, they had 12 possessions, a three tackles and 165 metre ga- metres gained. Losing the general in Stephen May so early in the game was always uh, going to impact our structure, particularly without having T-Mac uh, to be able to swing back in defence and to make matters worse. One of his lieutenants in uh, Petty suffered uh, what at the time we assumed was an ankle injury, but turns out it was his knee, which uh, the club has claimed he's been cleared of any damage. And after that, he was severely hampered for the rest of the match. Our excellent record of keeping teams to under 60 to 70 points was always going to take a hammering with the breakdown of our structures, and that record did, in fact, take a hammering with us conceding a rare 94 points. Thankfully, Gus performed his newfound position in defence as well as he has been all year, saving a few certain goals with his courageous marking uh, and and defensive abilities. Otherwise, uh, the end margin could have been a lot worse. A Norm Smith medalist was a shadow of himself, notching up one of his lowest possession matches of his career. Uh, at the game, he looked clearly injured or sick, and it was confirmed after the match that he was indeed ill. Despite both Oliver uh, with 36 possessions and Viney, 28 possessions, having very solid games, Frio's ability to rack up uh, clean clearances from centre from centre clearances and around the ground was too overwhelming for the Ds, particularly in the third quarter where they won 9-1 to centre clearances. Our forward connection was once again a problem. I mentioned last week that it was entering 2018 to 2020 territory and this game was no different. Brent Brown was ineffective. There were times when he was battling multiple defenders and often there was no separation between our two tall forwards, causing both of our forwards to compete for the same ball on multiple occasions. Thankfully, uh, Bailey Fritch was an ever-reliable goal scorer who now has hit the scoreboard in every single game this season, a feat that's only been matched uh, by about... uh, half a dozen other players this season. Uh, Toby Bedford, too, showed a bit of uh, a bit by kicking two goals. All in all, perhaps it was the loss we had to have. Injuries and a breakdown of structures most definitely were a factor. And I can wear the loss, perhaps not the way we lost, but the most important thing now is how we respond this week. We have uh, a few tough games going into the bye against the Swans and then the up and about Magpies on Queen's birthday, followed by a possible top of the table clash against the Lions at the G after the bye. We'll absolutely know where we stand uh, this year after our next three games. We'll either be standing tall or right back amongst the pack. And guys, we'll be talking a little bit more about the breakdown of our structures a bit later. Do you have any other general comments about our first loss of 2022? Not, not really from me. Um, I don't think it was actually the, the loss we had to have um, in, in one sense. Um, I, I, we'll t- like you've just said, we'll talk about the uh, breakdown of the structures and I think that was the very, very fundamental reason uh, that we got the result that we saw. Um, it, and, and it wasn't just a breakdown in one area, it was across the whole ground, um, unfortunately, and you just get the results. You know, At the end of the day, Fremantle were a top four side they have got very, very good systems in place. I compare them to where we were probably in 2020 at the moment. Um, 
they've got young players. They're still learning a system. They they, they play a very good, uh, safe possession type of game, but uh, because of the the, the structures that are, of ours that failed, they were absolutely utterly able to exploit it, and they did in a big way. So um, we'll talk about that bit a bit more later on. Uh, and then, I mean, I, I, I was going to talk about the game in the sort of tactics um, section. So, sort of have a look at the game from a tactical perspective. But just before I do that, Andy, just as a general thing, you mentioned some of the the stats, Weed and Melsham um, numbers. But it wasn't just uh, Ben Brown only had two disposals for the mark uh, for the mark for the for the game. One mark, one kick, one handball. Melsham had five disposals. Um, Steve May was off, obviously, and as well as um, Frida played in terms of the goals, which were great. He only had seven possessions. Uh, you mentioned uh, Wiedemann, um, but the big one was Petrarca with only 10 possessions. So Apparently his lowest ever. His lowest since his first season, I believe, Whether, yeah. but perhaps it's the lowest ever. So, you know, that's – and it's also – it's obviously goes without saying. It's not just the numbers; it's the the lack of impact that he um, had in terms of contested possessions and um, you know winning the ball um, himself in those in those situations. So, and I'll touch on that as well. But like just some of those numbers, you can't. Ben Brown had a complete shocker, and it was partly I mean defensive thing. That thing of two flying, it's been on Demon Land a little bit too tall flying, but that's how we do it. We play. We have multiple um, tools going for it. We don't look for separation and we look to bring it to ground, but we couldn't do that either. Um, and so we were outmarked incredibly, and I'll touch on that as well. But, um, you know, you can't have that, you know, four or five players with such a low output and, um, you know, particularly one of them being tracked. So yeah, it was a really curious decision to play. If he was sick enough to only be able to rack up 10 possessions, um, very curious. I mean, in the last quarter, he played. He started deep, full forward, and it's what you do when someone's injured in the old back in the day. That's what you did if you were a bit, you know, you're on one knee. You'd put your gun at full forward and say, "Don't leave the square," and that's what it looked like. So he basically didn't have an impact in that last quarter at all. No, um, we usually go into our tactical talk segment, but uh, we realised uh, George's improvement relates to Bman's tactical talk. So we'll get into that shortly. Uh, we'll go into our positives now and at, at the. When we talk improvements, then we'll get into the tactical talk. Uh, each week we take a look at either uh, a team or an individual positive or an area in improvement. And this week I couldn't come up uh, with any positives from this match. Uh, there were only a few shining lights in cameo roles. However, uh, this week I'm going to do a reverse bin man who likes to sneak in a positive into his improvement. Uh, this is a little bit of a personal positive, which is a spin on a, I guess, a negative Um the spider, the superhero Spider-Man, his uncle Ben once famously came claimed, "With great power comes great responsibility." So too uh, did our great unbeaten run come with a great weight of expectation. There were a lot of there was a lot of external noise for Gazi, if you will, from uh, footy pundits uh, uh, claiming that we could go throughout the season unbeaten, and as a result, I had been having some very anxious moments with that weight of expectation on our footy club and sure I would have loved a flawless season but it was always going to be ambitious and there was that other bit of anxiety gnawing at me and that was the potential humiliation of having an unbeaten run going into a grand final only to lose on that one day in September 
and it was keeping me up at night. So heavy is the head that wears the crown. And thankfully, I've now been spared the suffering of that horrible fate. It's as if a great weight has been lifted off my shoulders and hopefully the pundits will stop with the demons are unbeatable narrative now and the team and the supporters can shed some of that heavy burden that the weight of the Premiership Cup has been inflicting upon us. I slept pretty damn soundly after the loss, whereas in the past I would have been a mess for days. So in a roundabout way, this is my positive for the week. Perhaps I'm still basking in the warm glow of Premiership glory. It's an amazing what finally getting your hands on the cup can do for your disposition after a loss. And uh, that's where I am now. Um, I'm not a blubbering heap. My MFCSS hasn't overtaken me. I'm uh, pretty happy considering all things considered. I think you're Uh, cured. Uh, no, I, I can't say that yet because we've got some tough games. If we if we uh, if we fall in a heap uh, in the next three weeks, and particularly after the bye against the against the Lions, well, it'll be back with a vengeance, baby. <laughs> George, uh, uh, you want to? Oh, B man, yeah, you, you've said in our little chat here you wanted to, to do an overview of the game from a tactical perspective. Can that wait till that we do tactics? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, George talks about the structures, and I'll. I'll leverage that, but I just, yeah. Jump in, jump in uh, with that when when George talks about about that. Uh, George, in your positive, you wanted to talk about the crowd, and I'm curious to what you have to say uh, about this. Um, so take it off. Yeah, there's been a, a bit of a discussion on Demonland during the week. Some people come out and, and of course, said we're pathetic supporters and we should all be um, turning up at much more than what we are. Um, the crowd was 29, close enough to 30,000 this week, and. Um, uh, I thought that was a bit of a harsh call um, from people. Um, uh, putting aside the COVID arguments, um, when you looked at even the Collingwood and uh, Carlton game, they've got 80,000 members in each club. So there are 160,000 people um, could have come to that game. Of course, they're not going to fit in. <laughs> but um, the fact is only half their members turned up uh, across the board. We've only got six, just over 60,000 members and there might have been a couple of uh, free Fremantle supporters there who are very no- noisy. I, I, that's what I want to – how many do you think there were? Because by the end of the game, it was very loud, I thought, for a team that I thought was above, obviously, GWS crowd size numbers. Yeah. But I thought they were very vocal and very loud. And uh, I looked yeah. over to the Southern Sand side sort of, uh, I guess, when you uh, – yeah just to one side of our, our goals. And when they kicked a goal, there were a lot of people jumping up on the Southern Sands side. I, yeah, I think yeah, there I, were a number of their supporters there, which was surprising. Yeah, I, I think they were all immediately below me, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where you <laughs> sit, below yeah, there. Yeah, um, I, I think what they've done is put them all in, because they were all reserved seats, of course, yeah. they put them all in the same area, but they were very noisy, which, oh, cool, all credit to them. Yeah, flag but, mantle. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, especially when you're winning, it's very You're easy to about. be very noisy. Um, but yeah, the reality is, you know, even if there are a couple of thousand there, that basically half our members turned up to watch the game, which is exactly what Collingwood and Carlton are done, uh, were doing. When you look at uh, Essendon versus Fremantle uh, earlier on in the season, they had 24,000 turn up. Uh, Essendon's got uh, uh, last again 80,000 members. They had 24,000 turn up. Um, Geelong, while Geelong, while Cardinia Park's being um, rebuilt, um, somewhere in the uh, 
somewhere in the order of 25,000. I think they can fit into the ground at the moment, but they only got 20,000 turn up to their game. Again, Geelong has got uh, 65,000 members, so about about a third of their members turned up. So I think it's a bit rich for people to, um, to claim that we're not being supportive enough of the club. It's pretty typical of, of uh, AFL supporters across the whole range. Even though we've won a premiership last year and you'd expect more, we've got an, another 57 years before that where we're... <laughs> We had very little reason for the supporters to turn up, and it'll take a long time to build us up to the same levels of these uh, still bigger clubs. Happy man, anything you want to add to that? The crowd was great. I thought twenty nine thousand is a solid crowd for a Frio game. I've been. <laughs> I remember that game there, Frio. Um, oh, yeah. Um, we came back from 45 points down at three quarter time, and was wet and miserable. And I reckon there was about. He would have been lucky to be 10,000 there that day. It was cold and wet and I sat down the bottom of the Ponsford stand because the top was open and I think that was the last time my son went to a game of footy actually. So, um, But, yeah, so I, I thought 29,000 was terrific and it, um, the atmosphere was great. I thought it was a, yeah. um, a terrific um, sort of atmosphere in the ground and I'll pay credit to the the um, enthusiasm of the um enthusiasm of the Frio fans they were certainly up and about and I was uh, impressed with their cheer squad um I couldn't quite understand what their chants were but uh I might email them to let them know to make the to articulate a bit more clearly but yeah it was uh it, it was a game I thought there was an atmosphere befitting two top four sides playing um uh, two top of the table sides playing so I, I thought it was a great crowd and not to mention that it uh, was at a ter- terrible time. Uh, yeah, four forty-five well. was. It's really a. Uh, it's cold as well. It, it was sunny on the train on the way in, and then I got into the ground. It felt like it dropped 10, 10 degrees walking into the G. Uh, we have a caller on the line. Um, good evening, and welcome to the Demonland Podcast. Who am I talking to? Yeah, my name's Noah from East Bentley. Thanks very much for taking the call. Pleasure. Um, the question I wanted to ask the guys, as, as sad as it was and frustrating watching to see Melbourne lose the game from about half time, do you really think that, I mean, Petrarca was ineffective and you could see that, you know, there was still a few niggling injuries from Maxi Gorn and Lever with, you know, the, the knees and stuff. Do you think that we should should have rested them in hindsight, guys? What, what's your perspective? George, you want to take that one? <laughs> Uh, rest, resting, I, I think we've got a, a pretty definitive statement from the, the coach um, uh, about that. It, it, doesn't, it certainly doesn't seem to be part of our DNA uh, to be resting players. Um, uh, it's part of the, the, uh, uh, the training regime that uh, you train as you play and uh, you play as you train. So um, uh, it's always great in hindsight. You, you think you should... Uh, uh, rest players to give them a break because they're obviously playing injured, but that's the nature of AFL football, unfortunately, across all teams. But with Petrarca, you could see he was lacking pace and everything, and it was on the news that he was sort of feeling a bit flat in the morning. You know, couldn't he have been replaced by you know ten other you know ten other players in the VFL needing yeah. a game? I just thought yeah. you know it was probably a good time for him to be rested if he had the flu or or some bug because he was clearly not his usual self. I, I I agree with you there, but um, I, I I just answer that because um, I've had you know, playing sport yourself. Um, 
uh, with things like the flu or a cold or something like that, you, th- you think you're okay until you get actually get out there on the field or, and, and start running at full pace and then you realise you can't do things that you normally could. And, um, you know, for, for these quality players that we've got, I don't think anybody would have thought that Petrarca could be uh, so far down on his, um, on his uh, impact in the game as, as that. Um, an eighty percent fit Petrarca is probably better than any VFL players that we've got currently got going around. So um, he probably thought the same, and the coaches probably thought thought the same. But the situation was worse than what we expected. I, I reckon it's a really good question because, to be honest, I, I think um, Petrarca owes this one because he Goody was asked that question in the presser, and again, I've. Um, I've just been loving Goodwin's presses because you don't have to read between the lines and he's pretty straightforward. And he paused before answering that question. Um, and really, Petrarca, that sort of performance, he, he left us one of our main drivers down. Um, he His response to that was he checked with Track and Track said he was good to go. Um, and you don't, with something like that, like it's not an injury, if he's sicker, who knows what the illness was, could have had the flu that's going around, he could have had whatever. Um, we had a couple of players pull out of the um, um, Casey game. Magic Door didn't play. I think um, there was... Uh, um, Van Ruyen. Van Ruyen was out sick, so it probably suggests there was something going through the club. Um, it's a really mm. interesting one because track... Um, gave himself the green light, and I mean, and he's a professional um, athlete, as uh, George says. He's, um, but he's also a leader, and so you know, he's made the wrong call. It's, there's no question, and and um, you know, maybe he he thought he was going to feel better. George is right, him. Who knows? He maybe didn't feel it um, going out, but he he shouldn't have played. I don't think. Not if he was. Um, he couldn't give us anything in that that um, second half. Um, and so when we lost May, we were we were essentially a player down, and particularly with Petty, you know, it also meant that Petty came back on injured. Um, so you know, I think the wrong call was made, and the that was Tracks' wrong call. So you know that uh, it wasn't great. I didn't think so. You know, the club weren't weren't going to overrule him. The, the club can't tell if it's unless it's an injury, and then they do the testing and do that. The club's not going to overrule him if he says he's good to go. They're going to do that. As George said, he no doubt, of course, you'd expect that he he thought he was good to go. Otherwise, he would have pulled the plug, but he wasn't. So he's made the wrong decision there. And um, yeah, hopefully he doesn't do that again. No, thank you. And one final question: with our inaccurate kicking, which you know all the players, especially Petrarca, and that's the main forward line, has been really inaccurate and has probably not cost us games because we haven't lost any. But do you think? That could be our Achilles heel this year if we don't kick straight during important games in the next couple of weeks, guys. I actually think it was a big factor in this loss. I mean, I don't know what would have happened in the second half, and I'll get I'll talk about that in a sec. I, you know, we were running on the spot in that last quarter, so they might have still rolled, rolled over the top of us. Um, but um, Track uh, missed a shot that could have given us some momentum in the last. But the key two, the two key ones, was Fritter missing that. Um, the shot that he, you know, on the swinging around on his left that Viney fed out to him. He, that's bread and butter shot for him. And the uh, weeds miss from after his good mark where he hit the post. The, 
the game, they were critical games, but uh, goals, both of them would have put us out to 36-point lead um, or, or 31. We ended up with only 25 points after Lobb scored that goal, but we should have had a five-goal lead um, coming into that halftime break. And who knows, five goals might have been enough to to psychologically you know, challenge um, uh, Frio to get up. So I actually think it cost us in this game. It was interesting. I got to the game really early and watched the uh, team do their warm-ups and um, Mark Williams was working exclusively with Petrarca um, and was obviously changing his technique. It was a much more measured, slower approach to kicking. The sad part was he probably took you know, 10 or 15 shots a goal and he missed every single one of them in the warm-up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so something's not working, but they know that they need to work on it. Yeah. The set shot that he took, I was uh, directly behind him. So like I could see the direct line to the goal and I was yelling at him to play on, but he ignored me. And uh, But his um, setup looked better, Jordi. He, he wasn't spinning the ball in his hand and he yes. was walking yeah. in straight. And it was actually not a... By his set shot standards, it was actually not a bad kick. It didn't. It went relatively straight. It didn't hook. So he did. It did actually look like he had a bit of a different technique. But you know, if you if you're practicing and your technique changes before a game of footy, it's not ideal, is it? Thanks very much, guys. Pleasure. Thank you for calling. All right. Um, we'll move on. Um, Hey, B-Man, uh, you are, your positive this week was uh, players returning from injury. Now, keep in mind, we are going to talk ins and outs uh, later. So go for about uh, players returning, but uh, be mindful. Uh, no, not discussing who you think should repla- they should replace. No, I uh, will be moment. very mindful. <laughs> it sounds like from what Goody said on SEN this morning that we've yes. got some players coming back. I won't even mention who, Andy. I don't want to spoil oh, it. Well, you can spoil <laughs> it. That does, doesn't sound so huge, it, it huge news. Funny that the, I listened to that just before. Um, they didn't. Uh, he, they said Salem's coming back. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Harms, coming back. Lang is coming Langdon, back. They're all they're all available. They're all available. But the obvious question, which they didn't ask, was what through the ones. So did, uh, and no. we'll talk about it later. But he's the, not going to give everything away. Yeah, the um, I mean, really, the thing about the positive. So the positive is those players are coming back into the team. And and what I wanted to say is, is I said this in 2020, and I, I said it in 2019 um, when I called into the podcast, um, is that. One of my frustrations about the coverage of the game, as I've talked about ad infinitum, is the is it's dominated by ex footballers and and it's really they give poor service to fans and and there's a series of myths in football that get perpetuated um, and one of them is the soldier in soldier out palaver um, that is on all the time and it just frustrates me no end because by far the biggest determinant of success is um, how healthy your list is. Injuries is by far the biggest factor in whether a team goes on to, is in a shape to win a flag. And every year it's downplayed. Um, and you simply cannot take out four or five. How many of our best 22 did we have out this weekend? Like at least four of out of best 22. You can't take a quarter of your side out, a fifth of your, you know, of your side out um, and expect to um, to have you know to not lose anything. We were playing um, Frio, who are a top four side, who I rate super high 
who were pretty much, they were only one or two players short, maybe um, Switkowski and Fife short of their best 22. Um, so, and we had four, maybe five out. And so when May went down, you had um, uh, Dunstan who came in, who's been serviceable, but he's somewhere between a really good VFL player and a um, average um, AFL player come in to, to come off the bench. You had Wiedemann in rare, bad form. Um, and, so, <laughs> you know, you had players who you had Bedford, who I rate, but still he's, you know, in for his first half a dozen games. Um, and on top of the, the players we had out, we had um, uh, Chandler, who was um, suspended. So he would have probably come in as the Medi sub, arguably probably ahead of um, Melksham. Um, so it wasn't just that, you know, the the game and Frio played well. It just can't. It's a massive, massive factor. Um, and just from you know, you add in tracks um, obvious illness, then you know you're always going to struggle. Doesn't matter. We would have struggled against most teams in their eight um, with that sort of um, injury. And the TMAC one was a really big, you know, um, uh, what uh, Goody mentioned it a few times and he mentioned it on that SEN show. That was a late call in the, the week where they had to shuffle um, what they were going to do um, and it really meant that we didn't have the flexibility, as Goody pointed out, to throw someone back when May went down. Um, and it was a bit ironic to see Weed going back and he doesn't look a defender. Yeah. You know, he certainly doesn't look like a winger and they looked all out of sorts at one point where uh, they almost got a 6-6-6 where Wiedemann ended up on the wing and I worked it out when I watched the replay. He was transitioning to the back line at that point. He couldn't, you know, he got himself all in a um, fuddle. No one, knew, no one knew what was going on at no. that stage. So, like the people directing him from the bet, they didn't, no one knew. So it was a bit of a shambles. So the improvement is we've got some good players coming back, but it's also, I think it's really important, you know, the... To just for all of, all these fans to keep in mind is that we're not you know we're not some magic team. If you take five of our best teams out, we're going to struggle. And if we've got five of our best players, best twenty two come finals time, we'll struggle come finals as well. So luck plays a big part. You know, man management plays a big part. We've got the added complexity of COVID this year, and you don't actually know what the impact on some of these elite athletes are. Some people will get, you know, will struggle to get over it. It's a respiratory illness after all. So maybe that's still um, being um, a factor for the Ds. So, yeah, so it'll be great to see in particular Salem back. We really, really miss him. And the fact that we've travelled so well, we've won 10 as, you know, it's easy to think, oh, well, we can do it without Salo. But Salo, I think, is um, arguably in our top three or four most important players um, um, to how we set up and how we play. You have a look at, uh, if you watch our finals last year, look at the Brisbane game, look at the grand final first quarter and he's essential. Absolutely. And he also plays, I mean, they've talked about it a lot with May going down. Um, you know, uh, Maxie was asked a few weeks ago, who's the most important player in the team? Who could you least afford to ask? Uh, sorry, to lose, he was asked. And he, <laughs> he's quite funny, Maxie, but he said, well, apart from me, obviously, um, Steve May. Um, and he it's as he mentioned the big factor is his leadership down there he's the general um and similarly with weedering for carlton going out you could see how that threw um carlton out completely as well but salem's um authority and leadership down there is really underestimated i think because you've got may and you've got lever so demonstrative um, um but salem is hugely important both 
in his leadership, but also how he controls the movement of the ball from the halfback flank. Um, and, you know, for the first time in a long time, we looked a bit rattled in that third quarter, I thought, in terms of how we were moving the ball when we, we were rushed. Salem never gets rushed. And, you know, um, he keeps the, the team sort of focused and controls it. And he's a re- one of those players really good at sensing when we're in trouble and he takes it on himself to maintain um, um, the, the footy and, and maintain control. So, um, yeah, it's great to have him back. Hopefully he's back in this week. Uh, before we move on to the improvements, I want to apologise to those listening live. I had changed a setting uh, early on on my system and they were only getting my voice and not not uh, yours, <laughs> you guys. So uh, for the first 20 minutes of the show, you guys weren't being heard. So apologies, <laughs> wasn't trying to silence you. Um, uh, anyone listening to this podcast uh, via a podcasting app later on, we'll get uh, your dulcet tone. So don't worry about that. Um Let's go to improvements. Uh, there is, uh, for me, there's just no cohesion at the moment with our connection into the forward line. We've had this issue in the past. It's been well doc- documented on this very program on demonland.com and in other venues. It's an aspect of our game. The last year was working particularly well in the past few weeks. However, I think we've really struggled. And I, I mentioned earlier, I, I think we've had that proper separations with our forwards. Be man, you disagree. Say that's how we do it. When we do, we often lead to the same spot or, or the ball is kicked up to the same two players competing for the same ball. Uh, and I get that we tend to go towards the boundary to, to play the game of percentages, essentially forcing the ball out of out for a throw-in if we can't mark it. Um, but I feel that TMAC does work better with Ben Brown um, than, say, Weed does. Um, it didn't help that Weed had to go back and then Ben Brown was left with... 10 big four, 10 big uh, defenders on him. Um, and on top of uh, the connection issues, it's our inaccuracy, which uh, we, we spoke with the caller about. Uh, it's a massive problem too. A big man, some of your improvements cross over a little bit with mine, so you can lab- elaborate on, on what I just said. Uh, you wanted to talk about uh, your improvements this week, a bit of an amalgamation of some of your previous improvement improvements that have come home to roost. Um, you want to take it away? Yeah, so I, like a couple, two, three of the improvements that I've discussed in areas we can, well, certainly that are concerns are that second tall is one of them, um, and I think that we saw, um, you know, the like, uh, yeah, I don't want to jump on the um, the bag Wiedemann, um train, but he what he doesn't do down forward um, is what T Mac does a lot of, which goes unnoticed, is screening and blocking. Um, and we doesn't seem to have that sense of how to block or when to block. Um, I know T-Mac was a, an elite-level basketballer, and as George can attest, blocking and is it basically is one of the key skills in um, in basketball, uh, and T-Mac's really, really good at it, and that was one of the reasons why. I mean, they've got an excellent defense, and they zoned across super well. Um, Pierce is a terrific defender. Um, they they really were clever in how they um, did that, but um, big job for um, for we went for the second tall, tall forward is to block and create space, um, and that didn't happen. Um, and with T Mac getting you know that um, sort of I guess on the wrong side of of twenty eight, isn't he? Like twenty nine T Mac now, yeah. Um, and Weed struggling. Uh, that second tall um, is is an issue, and it, and it really I thought came home to roost a little bit on the weekend. Is that we had an ineffective 
main tall, obviously. Benny Brown um, had a really poor game. Um, he didn't get the, the cover that he would have got if T-Mac was in. He didn't get the screening. But we gave him no space to, to lead into. Um, they, they played him super, super well. Um, and we just couldn't sort of – he couldn't um, give us what um, Benny Brown wasn't giving us but didn't do that role of the second um, uh, tall. So it's a bit of an issue for us, particularly if T-Mac cops another injury. Um, you know, that Van Ruin's not ready to come in to, to play that role. So it's definitely a question mark um, for me in terms of, uh, you know, an issue. And we saw what happened in this game um, with that second tall struggling. And as I say, with the, um, Benny Brown, out of form, but also just get no space. So credit for Frio for for um, setting it up that way. Then the other one was the small defenders. So I put on the agenda a few weeks ago about um, it's been something I've talked about for a while now. But our biggest area of defensive weakness, I think, is um, managing those small defenders. And um, we had seven goals kicked against us between uh, two of them, Schultz and the. Uh, uh, Walters? Walter, uh, no, not Walters, uh, who also kicked a, um, uh, what's his name? The other, I'll think of it in a sec. The, so seven goals between, well, nine goals, if you include Walters. Um, and um, we, you know, really struggled. That was a bit unfair on Hunt, though, because he was he was stretched all over the place and he was zoning off um, uh, his players um, off Schultz. He was on Schultz early on and kept Schultz goalless to um, halftime, I think, and then Schultz ended up with four um, so, you know, that that's a area that's definitely a weakness and, um, you know, they were terrific um, in that second half with the, the ground ball get. Um, and then the last one was the um, tracks kicking for goal and we've talked about that um, already, but it's really, you know, it's, it's a bit of a worry that he's practising a new technique right before the game and we really need, you know, he, especially when they push him forward to break a tag, um, we need him to take his set shots. He'll get his um, fair share of them and then he gets them from the boundary. That's where he sets up. He sets up in that forward line um, towards the boundary and, and leaves the corridor for the bigs. Um, so he's got to sort it because um, it's, a, it's a big issue. So uh, all three of those things hit us pretty hard on the weekend, I thought. It's not good when, when three areas of improvement all fail to improve at the same time. Yes. Uh, uh, George, uh, the system and how and why it failed, and then Bim Man, you're going to expand upon that and the, the tactical talk section that's been postponed. Um, take it away. Yeah, these. I, I think we've um, touched on a lot of these things, and, and unfortunately I think in this game we saw – the perfect storm for us where our systems failed across the whole ground. It wasn't just in one area. <clears throat> and they failed for different reasons, but um, I think the only fortunate thing was that uh, Fremantle didn't blow us away by <laughs> much more than what they, they did. For the last 12 months, um, <clears throat> uh, we've heard the coach uh, and we have talked about the, the systems that we've got in place and the structures that we've got in place. And Goodwin reaffirmed it even in his interview today. We, we have a system that um, is necessary to compete in finals and the proof is in the results that we got last year and there's no doubt about it, the successful sides have successful systems. Gone are the old days where you used to have 20 better players than the other players on, than the opposition on the field. You need to work together as a team. Um, these systems are dependent on a couple of things. Firstly, you you need talented players um, 
and individuals around which to build the structures. Um, you're not you're not going to get 22 talented players on the on the field. You might be really lucky and you might get 10, 15 um, quality players, but you then need the role players alongside them to fill the gaps and work um, as per instructions and to um, complement and strengthen the system as a whole rather than just the individual efforts. But what happened? Well, um, we'll start with the defence. We, we we lost Stephen May very early in the defence and Stephen, as as um, Bin Man mentioned before, is one of the critical building blocks and is recognised by the club and the captain um, as being one of the, the major players in the side that, that we really need to keep um, on on the ground. Um, then then we lost Petty, um, who would have filled in with an injury to May normally, and that would have been fine, except Petty then got injured himself. So our tools down the back were, were left with the grand total of, of Jake Lever there, and that and that was it. And um, then you finished up as a result of, of Petty, Petty being off the ground for so long. They, were, they swung Wiedemann down there to try and give some sort of um, protection, but of course uh, they've got a couple of tools in, in Lobb and Tabiner who are, who are pretty seriously good footballers in their own right. And we finished up in the situation, the silly situation of um, poor old Jaden Hunt. I think at one stage was trying to match it up with Lob. Um, you know what? What we were lucky that we got away with what we got away with, so to speak, um, because that could have been a really, really bad uh, outcome for everybody. In the middle, um, <clears throat> Bin Man um, mentioned mentioned before, um, Dunstan was brought into the side. Petrarca was obviously ill and 10 possessions for the whole whole game um, certainly wasn't um, uh, what was what was uh, needed in there unfortunately the structures in the middle didn't work because for a long time we were still playing Petrarca in there and effectively we had two players um, you know uh, alongside the rucks so it wasn't surprising in the third quarter it was um, nine clearances to one I think it was. Um, more importantly, it wasn't just nine clearances to one. It was nine clear clearances to one. It was, wasn't the struggled one. They, they got such clean possession out of the middle, it really left the, the already depleted back line um, in an even worse situation. The structures had fallen apart. Um, Dunstan certainly wasn't, when he was brought in there, um, wasn't able to, and he isn't, of course, a, a, a player of, of Petrarca's quality. So um, Oliver and Viney battled manfully and did a fantastic job in there considering the circumstances, but it really was, wasn't was surprising. Up in the forward line, oh, sorry, the other one, of course, we missed in the middle was, was um, alongside him was Ed Langdon. You know, he's, he's our link man. He's he's the man who um, provides the outlets, you know, um, that, that are so critical. He provides a defence um, that is so critical. When they're trying to switch the ball around the field, Ed's already out there on, on his man, shuts it down really quickly. And in this case, we had you know, Belcham coming in as a replacement at a very slow pace at the very best if he put his put his efforts in. Um, it just left big holes in, in, in the structures that Fremantle just waltzed through simply because they're a possession side. If you let them walk through the, through the structures, they will keep possessing. We saw it time and time again, chip the ball to the next one, chip the ball further up the field, and the Melbourne players just weren't there to, to try and stop it. Um, so <clears throat> down the forward line, again, the structures collapsed. Um, 
Wiedemann didn't provide what he wanted. And as Ben Man's, uh, mentioned, you know, TMAC does so much that people don't appreciate. Um, not only does he provide the blocking capabilities, but he, he is also that second link man quite up at the um, up on the wing. You know, those critical contested marks um, uh, that provide the link to go forward. Um, Wiedemann simply can't or doesn't provide that sort of um, output that's necessary. So when you've got a team that's been playing and winning with these sort of structures that requires these critical link persons um, around the ground and then you take them away, there's a big, big hole that, that um, uh, results. Now, the good thing about all, all of this is um, that these structures can be rebuilt. Um, we've already talked about the players that are, can't, are possibly going to come back this week. Uh, TMAC provides that that strength to the um, to the forward line. Langdon hopefully is back this week, and he'll provide those links up the wing. Um, down the back line, let's hope Petty is okay, but Tomlinson had a ripper of a game uh, at Casey, and uh, we'll talk about, perhaps a little bit more about that later. Um, but more importantly, you're putting players in who understand the systems and the structures. Um uh, I don't think that people like Dunstan um, and you know, Wiedemann uh, and, and Melcham provide those same that same solidity in the structures that's required to make it successful. So simply bringing back the players um, that are currently out will make a big difference. So we don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And in fact, if we want to continue being successful, we need to continue with the, uh, uh, the current methods and structures that Goodwin's put in place. Just on structures, the I mean, it cannot be it cannot be underestimated the impact of of having May out combined with having Langdon out from a structural perspective because um, uh, it's not just the the structural um, uh, impact of that and particularly Langdon, it's the technical um, bits of his game that he does that um, you have to replace. So one of which is he's averaging something like 17, 18 kilometers running a game it's how far he runs per game so you've got to replace those kilometers you then take out the kilometers that um, track isn't running because he's clearly under the weather so suddenly you've got 25 kilometers you've you've got to cover um, and the meters ga- meters gained from petrarca as well meters gains you've got it you've got to get that and but in particular langdon uh, on the first crack they showed some footage um, of Spargo, who ended up on the wing, who and I presume they put him there because he's got a good tank, but he can't cover the ground the way um, yeah. Langdon does. So it's not just that Langdon covers distance; it's the speed at which he covers it. So he's like a four hundred meter runner. So I was really surprised actually that they didn't play Bedford on the um, wing. Maybe he doesn't have the tank. I'm not sure, but he's got the wheels to get up and down the ground. But the way they they set it up, Spargo took um, the wing role. Um, and Nibbler took Spargo's, uh, sorry, uh, Bedford took Spargo's role. Um, but then when, um, so we've lost those kilometres and they showed the footage of Spargo where he was trying to do what Langdon does, which is get down deep and be behind the ball and end up being a, a, a last defender of, you know, just to help out that um, last 
defender um, position um, and becomes basically an extra defender in the way Gus does. But Gus doesn't get as deep um, as regular, although he did in this game. Uh, and Spargo was a little bit behind, as King pointed out, like 10, 15 metres doesn't sound much, but it meant that he couldn't impact um, defensively contests that Langdon um, does. And he showed footage of um, how Langdon gets back uh, against Hawthorne, for instance, really deep into the goal square and to disrupt marking. So you've got that structural problem. And the other issue was when Spargo went there, that means he throws a structural problem up forward That's because right. he's yeah, out there. You lose Spargo in the You lose Spargo. Line. So Bedford played well in the first half but almost completely disappeared uh, in the second half. And then, yeah, with May going out, of course, Petty was off for almost a full quarter. So we, we had May, um, sorry, uh, Hunt on Tabiner a number of times. They, they did a great job. So in that second half, they really spread the field, which meant that they created lots of one-on-ones up forward. That was really super clever. Um, but when May went out and Petty went out, that means they had to put Jordan, who was on the wing. So Jordan has been playing wing all season. He's doing a great job, but they had to put him back in the defensive um, zone to, to help out back there, meaning at one point it was Melksham on one wing um, and mm. um, Spargo on the other. And Spargo's not going to... Sorry, Melksham's not going to cover the distance that Jordan's going to cover. And those two... Those two wing roles are so critical to how we, as George said, transition. Um, it's just irreplaceable. So that's my point really about the impact of injuries. You can't, if you can't replace Langdon with a player who can run that sort of distance that he can and impact defensively the way he can, well, you're going to lose something. Um, and we certainly saw the value of Langdon and Steve May uh, in particular. So structurally, the other big structural issue that was created was tr- track not being able to play in the centre. Um, and tactically, uh, from a tactical perspective, I thought it was a fascinating game. I was really looking forward to see how this game would map out. Um, and one of them, it was interesting because Goody didn't respond. They brought an extra, sometimes two extras, to the um, contest, and that's that drove um, their um, success in the second half in terms of contested ball. He never responded. Goody never put an extra to the contest. He just let it go how it was going. He didn't do anything really to arrest um, the, the the momentum. So I thought that was really curious in terms of his response. But structurally, again, the, our model is that we are more often than not at clearances, one player down, often yeah. two players down. We were in this game um, because from a structural perspective, Goody backs in track, Oliver and um, Viney to win their share of two-on-one balls where we've got two, two um, players competing for it. Um, we got monstered, and again, on the first crack, they showed that footage of multiple players swarming our one player. If Track's up and about, he wins that ball anyway, and we've talked about it all season. He gets in there, he beats two players. Um, in the end, they put Sparrow in there to try to do it, but they never brought an extra to the contest. So I thought that was was really interesting. So structurally, we were all over the place, and for the first time in a long time, you could tell when that when I was saying before when Weed almost got a six 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 against him. He didn't know where he was running to at that point. It was right in front of me, and that's the first time I've seen real chaos down on the bench. People were pointing everywhere, and it was like no one really knew what was happening. Uh, and at that point, I thought we're we're in trouble here. We're not going to be winning this game because our structure was all over the all over the shop. And the other structural issue in that game actually was Max. Max is. Um, clearly sort of struggling a little bit. Played a great game, I thought. Mm. Um, but um, he was given a lesson, Jackson, in the ruck from Darcy, who's a super player, 
they let that happen as well. They didn't, they he had a lot of ruck time. Um, so structurally, we were struggling from that perspective as well. The other thing from a structural perspective, I was a bit surprised that Gorn didn't get pushed back. Um, I thought that was interesting, George, that um, Goody didn't choose to do that um, because he's done that in past when we're struggling down back a little bit. Um, oh, sorry, up, um, uh, when we're struggling in our defence with height. Um, so, yeah, that, uh, it was interesting that he didn't pull any levers really tactically apart from the ones we had to to shuffle, you know, to, to fix our issues. So yeah, from a tactical perspective, I thought the game was fascinating and um, was really looking forward to it. We talked about last week about how similar their game plans are, um, but the difference is the amount of switching and the amount of ball control um, they did. So in just as a full game, if that game was a boxing match and it was a four-round boxing match, you, you would have given three um, three of those rounds to Freer. Um, so the first quarter, even though um, they... Um, you know, it felt like it was even. They actually generated score from 47% of their forward 50 entries, but it was them, their inaccuracy that didn't um, meant that they didn't have it for the lead. They were actually, um, uh, you know, it was keeping us in it. We scored from 40% of our inside 50s, um, which was, was terrific. But at the end of the first change, Frio led contested possessions count by eight. So they were well up already and contested at the end of the first quarter. Um, that was our equal third worst quarter for contested um, possession differential for the season. Um, and um, three of our first um, four worst quarters for contested possession differential have been in those first quarters. So we didn't start well. They were, we were lucky not to be um, um, behind in that first quarter. We got the game looking like our game in the second quarter. That's when we came, did the work and was watching it at the ground was they really couldn't um, switch. Um, they couldn't get it um, going. So we lost my 10 minutes in. He should have been taken off immediately. I'm not sure if you guys noticed, but he when he got up, he was like a boxer speaking of boxing. Mm. He was wobbly on his feet. When he got up from that thing, oh, they should have taken him straight off. I was amazed. He was on the ground for another four or five minutes and took a contest and he almost got run down from behind. He looked like he was in La La Land and they took him off almost directly after that and he didn't come back on. That was, that, I thought that was strange that they didn't take him off immediately because it was clear that he'd got a head knock. Um, but then that, that second quarter we did... Um, get it back on the way we liked it. And for Frio couldn't transition. They kept on trying to swap it across and we were good enough to keep it, um, to keep them doing it. So, but they didn't, we hadn't really felt the impact yet of May, but that was because we dominated inside 50s in that quarter. So in that second quarter was the only time that we had um, uh, any real it looking like our game. We had, uh, we won the inside 50 count 17 to eight for the second term. So the not not having May didn't really hurt us in that quarter because they just couldn't get it down there. We did a great job. That's the other thing about Langdon is that it's not just his running, it's his running for the whole match. And so we couldn't cover it. We were starting to, to blow up. I mean, um, our players weren't um, covering it. But then the third quarter um, I thought was, was super impressive um, from them. Um, George, you wanted to jump in there, mate? No, 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 not not yet. I was it was just a tactical point when you're finished. Yeah, so then um, in in that third quarter, they really went to work, didn't they? They they smashed us in centre clearances. They won nine centre clearances to one for the term, um, and that that um, meant that they generated nine more inside fifty. So they basically flipped the second quarter um, numbers around. And what they did brilliantly, a couple of things that I thought tactically worked super well for Frio is Logue 
um, um, was sent to at the beginning of the game to tag May and um, Longmuir said that in his presser. Um, and so Logue, who's a um, defender of, uh, sorry, a, um, a, a defender, he uh, he was put in a forward defensive role, and his job was to shut down May. Um, so they identified May as a critical player for us. Uh, and what was really good tactically is they left him there, um, and so they really really stretched us in that third quarter. We were starting to run um, uh, up and down on the one spot. Well, we certainly by the end of the, the quarter and they were just stretching us beautifully. And it meant when they, they did get into the forward line, lots and lots of uh, their forward line, lots of one-on-ones. They really did a good job of, of doing that. And then the other big thing they did tactically in the second um, quarter, and again, this is relates to Petrarca being out of it, was Aish to Oliver. Um, and he dominated the first half, um, Oliver, but he got, you know, he, I think it was 12 possessions in the second half, so it's no... It's not a horror show, but um, Aish definitely impacted. And but which, if we had track up and de- um, going up to his normal level, um, it wouldn't have mattered so much because. But it, you took out Petrarca was already taken out of the game, and they took Oliver out uh, in that second quarter. We had no answer for for um, Lob at all. Um, and then in the you know the ends of, they had 130 marks, which was another tactical, um, which was incredible. Their highest tally all season, third highest by any side in um, this season. They won the contested possessions by 11, um, and it was even or close to even at halftime, um, which was our worst result um, in any game this season. Um, and the the big thing was that showed how that they got the game on their um, on their terms was the um, difference in their efficiency going forward. In the in the second half, um, they they scored tw- twelve goals from twenty nine entries, which forty one percent strike rate, and just showed our like your point about the the defensive structures, George. It completely collapsed our ability to do what we normally do, um, and it was fifteen I think fifteen two contested marks. Um, to them, so we just couldn't do um, what we normally do, which is prevent the opposition from contested marks. Um, but in the first half, it looked like ours, particularly uh, our sort of game, particularly in that second quarter, they only kicked two goals from twenty-three entries in that first half, nine percent. Like they, they really turned it around at half time. Um, partly our system um, fell down, but the big part was we were running up and down, and I wonder whether. You know, I, I don't want to be looking for excuses, but um, this is the point in the season last year where we started to run out of gas in the last quarter. We struggled. The equivalent game was the um, the Dogs game. We won that, but we came. We won that after losing to the um, the um, Crows the week before. The next week was against the Lions. They jumped in the early and got us away, and we attacked in the second half and got over that, and then we lost to Collingwood. Um, so, you know. I suspect that they've started that loading process in that last quarter. I don't know about you guys, but we were not coming back. We were running up and down on the spot and we looked like we did in that GWS game last year where we were clearly stuffed basically physically. Um, A few of them sick and it wouldn't be completely shocking if other players were sick as well. One of the interesting things that Longmire said was um, in his presser, he said about their performance against Collingwood the previous week is lots of stuff goes on in footy clubs that's not discussed. The implication was that last week um, players were sick um, for Frio and then he doubled down a little bit and said, and some of our players have implied struggled um, from coming back from COVID. Um, so it wouldn't shock me if we had a number of players actually down. It looked like that on the ground. Once we missed that, um, the big turnover point where Spargo missed 
gone on the wing in that third quarter, about 10 minutes in. They scored, Tabernacle scored. That was game over, I thought, and we were never coming back. And it was still level at that point, I think, or maybe we're, we yeah. were still in front. So they they did a great job then of really manipulating the ground and spreading. Um, and their contested marks, uncontested marks, were just out of control. We weren't, we weren't stopping them. And as George noted, they were getting territory as well. They weren't just going lateral. Uh, they were getting territory and really did a good job of stretching us and we couldn't go with them um, so tactically definitely win to Longmuir the second well, three of those quarters look like how Frio like to play their game um, they're a good side they've got good system again they had close to their best 22 in um, we had maybe five players out of our best 22 and as George um, made a really good case for our, our structure and system had fallen apart so the the loss was no surprise um, at all um, you know, with all of the things that went wrong, it would have been a surprise to win, to be honest. Um, but it goes back to that point earlier that I said, if we'd kicked those couple of goals, if we'd had kicked that goal, we should have kicked. And if Fritter had kicked that goal, maybe we would have gone in with a six-goal lead at half time. Maybe we could have gone into control mode ourselves. That was the other thing that I found tactically fascinating was that was the first time I've seen Melbourne in a long time lose control of the tempo of the game. Mm-hmm. Frio had the control of that game and it was like, I don't know about you guys, but it was, I felt like how it must be for opposition fans watching us. We just couldn't progress the ball in that um, um, third quarter after about the halfway mark or the, the um, in the last quarter at all. We just couldn't get it forward. And so it was almost the mirror image of the stats in the in that third quarter and the last quarter to the, um, our second quarter. So impressive performance from Frio um, and they, they'll be a challenge at the uh, business end of the season for sure. Another little snippet I really liked from uh, Longmire, uh, Longmuir, uh, we've got Longmire next week, um, was once he realised that uh, May and and Petty were basically out of the forward on, out, out of uh, our back line, he left Lob in their forward line. He, he stopped using him in the ruck and we had absolute, apart from the fact that he's a monster of a bloke, we had no answer. We had no one to go on, and boy, did they exploit it! Absolutely yeah. ripped us a, a new one with with that little just. And Darcy, he was performing magnificently. The ruck, there wasn't a reason to put Lob in the, the ruck at that point. So yeah, we got the double dose from uh, from them, but it was very well tactically done. It was, and just on that, at the three at three quarter time, they'd taken ninety marks to our fifty one, uh, and they only averaged ninety marks per game. They had that mark by that um, ninety mark by three quarter time. They they were smashing us, and I thought the game from a structural perspective. If there was one moment, George, that summed it all up for me was Darcy marking on. Bowie from yeah. 40 metres out and going back and drilling it. That was the other thing on that point about accuracy. Their accuracy, when they lob and Darcy back-to-back goals from outside 50, um, yeah. and we had Melksham, who I don't want to bag Melksham either, but he couldn't make the distance from 50. He goes up the other end and Collier kicks it, flushes it. Just a beautiful kick from right on 50. Never looked like missing it. Went through post-height, mid mid height um their, their kicking was fantastic jeffries was the player i was thinking of before uh and he was thrilling to watch he was terrific um such a that was a, a a complete performance from him and we had no answer for him so they you know not only were we inaccurate they also were super accurate and took their chances um and yeah it'll be i felt a little bit like it was similar to the dogs game around 17 last year um, because I, Goody had seemed as if um, 
as if he didn't try anything tactically as he didn't in that free, um, dogs game. He, like he made no moves to – it was as if – I don't say – like I'm not saying, suggesting that he gave up, but it was like, well, I'm not going to use my tactical cards now. I'll wait to the big big time before I start using anything like that. So, um, yeah, good coaching performance from uh, Longview, that's for sure. I don't think you can uh, not show your cards – uh, we don't want to be, be well, he, like he didn't the throw ladder. the magnets around. I mean, what his most radical move was Wiedemann in the in the back line, and um, it wasn't really a raging success, was it? He doesn't look a natural down there, yeah. No. But we've got to play them again later in the year in Perth. We've got to play the Bris- the Brisbane Bear, uh, Brisbane Lions twice, Geelong at uh, at Geelong. We can't uh, hold our cards to our chest. Well, I and think you games. can when you figure you've you've twenty five points down. You're not going to come back. He could see oh, the way the wind would blow. Yes. No, in so, that case, yes. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, early early doors, he will have tried his stuff. But it was really tactically, it was Longmuir who had the ace yeah. sleeve, and Aish worked for him, as George said. Lob worked, um, but Logue was super important, so they kept him up forward. He's not much of a kick, fortunately, but he really stretched our height and took some excellent marks as well, Luke. I think, I think, I think the player you were talking about was Frederick. Uh, yeah. Frederick's, yeah, Jeffries. Yeah, yeah Frederick's. Sorry, Frederick's, if you're listening in the off chance. Yeah, but he was terrific, wasn't he? Yeah. I, th- I think Goody's problem was the, not just the magnets on the board, but a few of the magnets had lost their, their stickability and had fallen off. Um, I think we've, we'd really run out of options mm. you know, when, you, when you look at some of the placements that we were forced to do just to fill the holes. Um, so it wasn't surprising. Yeah, and that did... Okay, I've got a bit of time for Dunstan, but he lacked a bit. He lacks a bit of polish, doesn't he? He, mm. he lacks a little bit of that sort of top line class. And I think all in all, our disposal was. I didn't mention it. I thought our disposal was terrible. Our handballing was yeah. off. We weren't hitting targets. Uh, mostly, a lot of the time by hand, uh, but by foot, foot as well. It was was a poor effort all round. It was, and one final thing from a tactical perspective is quite, you know that. We were in that situation that we put other teams in. And so we started to try and go through the corridor um, and take a, a bite off a risky kick to the corridor a couple of times. Gus tried to hit um, Nibbler in the corridor. Wiedemann twice tried to hit someone in the corridor. We gave up two goals and got none from from that. Uh, and it's that, that catch-22 when you're behind, you need to attack. Um, and just the other thing I thought actually was a really important thing for Frio is that in fact that we didn't score more goals than them in that um, second quarter. We could have easily been, if they'd attacked, they defended really well in that quarter to contain us to only a 25-point lead. And part of what they did, if you saw it, they really flooded back. And so they did what Melbourne often do is to, when a, the opposition's got the momentum, limit the damage as much as possible and did a pretty good job of it. And so arguably that set up their second half because if they'd gone in 36 points down, that would have been completely different to 25 down. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, good analysis. Uh, Casey, uh, the Casey Demons managed to survive the day of challenges that in many ways mirrored their AFL counterpart. They were undermanned, losing players to late withdrawals, uh, yet emerged undefeated and still on top of the ladder. From their encounter with Frankston, I believe we won by 18 points. Uh, B-Man, uh, which demon list of players impressed uh, you? 
I only watched the first half um, and no one really. Well, D- uh, Daniel Turner was the, the standout, yeah. wasn't he? He was terrific in that first half. So uh, I'm not sure George did if you watched the um, whole match, but yeah, yeah. Turner looked a, he looked excellent. So And he's only recently back from a pretty you know, long spell from injury. So I thought he was um, impressive. Um, beyond that, Tomlinson played... I know he got pretty good stats. I looked at the numbers. His his numbers were up there, um, and he he played pretty reasonably. Um, but I have to say, no one else really jumped off the um, page for me. Um, Manu's Wagman, he looks classy, but didn't impact hugely. Um, it was a pretty scrappy first half, I have to say. If you go on Twitter, uh, Casey Demon's Twitter page uh, has about a minute uh, or so of highlights of Daniel Turner. Uh, he did look uh, pretty good. Yeah, he he played particularly well. I, I watched the whole game. Um, Turner dropped off in the second half, but uh, his first quarter was just magnificent. Um, he had five marks and ten disposals, and playing as a as a backman, you know, that was just fantastic. Frankston are a pretty good um, side. You know, they've got all these um, really tough seasoned VFL type players that um, just keep on grunting in all the time. Um, so you don't see too many, you know, seventeen or eighteen year olds playing in their side, but they've got some really seasoned uh, players. Um, it was good to see we had Hibbert back, but he was on reduced minutes. He, I don't think he played the last quarter at all. Um, he wasn't really influential, but it was good to have him back on the field at least. Uh, Magic Door was out, um, so we didn't have the um, ascendancy in the ruck that he provided um, in previous weeks. Um, Andy Monu's Wakefield seemed to be in everything. Um, I think he's got a real future with the club. He's got a, a fair bit of get up and go about him. Um, Mitch Brown um, was doing quite well um, throughout the whole game. Look, he's a, he's at the end of his career from an AFL perspective, but he's a really smart VFL player, and he provides that link that you know we were talking about that T Mac link up the ground and the contested marking. You know, when Tomlinson was bringing the ball out, particularly in the last quarter, it was always being kicked to Mitch Brown up up the up on the wing. You know, he was the target. He was the man. So um, <clears throat> the other the other guy that really impressed me is unfortunately not on our list, but Corey Ellison was moved forward. Um, whereas he played in the back line in previous weeks and he kicked quite a number of goals. And he's certainly got strength and, and he kicks straight. He's quite quite impressive. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him drafted by the end of the year the way he's going. Tom I, Linson, think, I think he's nominated for the mid-year draft. Has he? I think so, yeah. I read okay. that somewhere. And he was arguably the difference, wasn't he, in terms of yeah, the yeah. result? Yeah. Tomlinson had a good run. Um, he did did what Tomlinson does. Um, I think it was 27 disposals and eight marks. Um, they really couldn't get past him, quite frankly. Uh, um, uh, we only kicked uh, two goals in, uh, in the second half, if, if I'm correct. Uh, but you know, it just meant that the back line had to hold up because Frankston were just uh, attacking and attacking and Tomlinson just kept on <laughs> repelling and repelling. So um, it was pl- pleasing to watch from that perspective. But you're right, there, there weren't, you know, Turner was impressive. Um, Bailey Laurie looked like he was suffering from whatever Petrarca was suffering from. Yeah, he was a bit disappointing, wasn't he? Yeah, he just had nothing there. Um, I was impressed with Wawoden. Um, he seems to put on have put on a lot of muscle really, really quickly, um, and he's, he's starting to use that to um, 
be physical about the way he goes mm-hmm. around his game. So, um, look, he's, he's not probably not get, we're not going to see him in the seniors by any stretch at this stage, but um, he's looking more and more like his old man, the way yeah, he plays. Yeah. And, um, yeah, with, with a lot more strength than probably what Shane had. So, um, yeah, it was another win to the team. Um, uh, that's great. Um, but, uh, you know, there's no real standouts. You know, Turner's only, like Ben Man just mentioned, just back from some injuries, but uh, that's not a bad return um, uh, in, your, in, I think, it's your, his first game back. Um, before we move on to the ins and outs, um, Terence in the chat room, a good friend, Terence, a uh, friend of the show, says, Team, I know that last week I was cancelled not to listen to David King, but I have one question. He said earlier today on SEN uh, that we are 11th without the ball, whereas we were first with a significant gap to second in 2021. Does this telegraph a significant concern? And I know that um, uh, David King has been saying that all year about us, that we're so-and-so, 7th, 11th, whatever, uh, without the ball and how we were first last year. So, big man, you're the, you're the man. Uh, you don't like David King, but uh, does that statistic concern you? Well, again, it's the thing. And what does that, it mean, by the way? What does it mean? What's the context? Well, I think it means without the ball because he's trying to explain that on it. There's these four core things that champion data tell him. What is a pressure? About. It's without the ball. It's all the defensive work that goes yeah. into a measurement that champion data, as I understand it, and, and I've only um, heard this sort of their attempt to explain it, but I think it's all the work that happens, the running defensively, um, uh, the sort of off-ball work, um, the 1% is rolled up into a measurement, which is um, uh, you're what you're doing without the ball. But So it's basically a measurement of your defensive work, how how strong you are defensively in terms of your running, um, and not defensively in terms of your inside 50s or opposition scores. Um, but so, And that he uses that as one of his four things that apparently is the core things that champion data look like to, to measure. And Frio are really high on that. Um, I think they're number one or number two on that measurement this season. But what frustrates me about that sort of statistic is what does he mean? We're, like when we were second in 2021, was that the end of the season or at the same point in the season? Because there are a number of stats that they talk about like that, that they talk about last season. Well, you can't compare a full 23 rounds with where we are at round 10. Um, what it would suggest to me is that we're missing a lot of our defensive players. And gee whiz, we're missing Salem. We're missing, you know, we're missing Langdon this week. We've had Petty out. We've had Lever out. We've now got May out. We've got, we've we had Hibbert out. Um, of our best um, uh, back six. Rivers has been down. He's clearly not running on top of the ground as well as he was. Levers struggled. Um, so, it, you know, they're part of the context for, for that number. But I would love to know what the comparative number at round 11 is. That would be more useful measurement as opposed to to saying what the number is in round 10, comparing it to a full season last year. But I'll bet you David King didn't give any of that context. But. Um, so it's potentially a concern. It would be. We're not probably likely to be uh, um, as strong a team as that number doesn't improve by the end of the season. But let's come back to it at the end, round 23, and see how we compare um, against last season instead of sort of apples and oranges, really. Or don't listen to David King. And or don't listen to David King. I can't help myself. <laughs> Kill two birds with one I can't stone. look away. <laughs> yeah, Terence, you've, you've got the same advice two weeks in a row now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Um, all right, let's go into the uh, changes. Uh, this could be a big week, week for changes uh, for the Demons. Uh, Stephen May obviously will be forced to sit out the week due to concussion protocols on the radio this morning. As we mentioned, Goody said that all of Ed Langdon, Tom McDonald, James Harms and Christian Salem would be available uh, for selection. We don't know uh, who will be going through the twos. Most likely Salem will be, but he could come in. Um, well, Hibbert, I, I doubt it, even though he played, he probably would have another week or two in the twos uh, to get that match fitness up. Uh, Tomlinson putting his hand up uh, to replace May. Uh, the club stated that uh, Petty had been cleared of any damage to his knee. Uh, but then again, uh, I think the week before, la- last week, we noticed T-Mac had entered the game on the bench. We'd never heard anything, and then all of a sudden he was out. So not sure about Petty. I was told today that he was running at training, so I hope that's good news. So, guys, who comes in, who goes out? Um, uh, B-Man, I'll start with you. because uh, Just wait with your outs then. I just sort of came from a structural point um, of perspective, George, is that I'd forgotten to mention harms. So Harms was an absolute critical out as well, like because who replaces him? Like so when you lose, so um, Melksham came in nominally to replace Harms, but then suddenly Melksham's on the wing replacing someone with Jordan. Well, who's replacing Harms and who's replacing? He would have gone into the centre. If we had Harms and track down, um, Harms would have taken probably 50% of the centre bounces in that second half. He, he was a, He's a big out from a structural perspective too. I- I spoke with uh, with Max at a player sponsors function, and he that'd said, "That'd be Max oh, Gorn." That's Max Gorn, yes. So do you know any other Maxes? <laughs> well, I do. <laughs> that would actually, be relevant. No. That would be relevant to this podcast. <laughs> um, he, I'm just casually name dropping. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> um, no, but uh, I, I spoke. He said, "Don't underestimate uh, James Harms um, and his importance to the team." You know, it's, right, he's not an Oliver or a Petrarca, but he is an important cog in that m- machine. And we missed a little bit of his hurt factor, didn't we, in terms of he tackles to hurt and we didn't really have that. So um, now, sorry, your question, Andy, on that um, was who's uh, ins and outs. Uh, ins and outs, who's yeah. in? uh, Langdon, if he's fit, obviously comes in. Langdon uh, comes in she's, and, and desperately need him. And, and you know, it, it just shows you how important some players are and how close it is between success. You can't imagine Salem would come back in. I, I don't know, but I've. Mate, it depends how fit he is, I guess. From a fitness, I would imagine he's a quite a fit, big guy. But man, I don't know, George. What do you reckon? What it's do you reckon? Different him or Hibbert? Sort of Hibbert, Hibbert yeah. I can see needing that time, but Salem, I don't know. Yeah, um, I'm not a great fan of the the uh, theory of uh, match fitness in, with professional athletes like they are. Um, you might lose a bit of your touch with the ball, but you you're certainly fit enough. Um, pretty well all the time for these guys and Salem's Salem's actually been back running for a couple of weeks so mm. that's a good sign um uh Tomlin's and he, uh, sorry and he'd be doing extra run I'm sure he'd be very fit he'd be doing his uh, mm. his K, yeah. getting yeah. his kilometers and, into his legs and um like I mentioned before about Petrarca you know I'd take an 80 percent fit Salem over some of the option <laughs> other options well I think I mean Tomlinson comes in doesn't he and that's yeah good, that's a like, certainty yeah one thing, George, I, I did note in the first half of the game that I watched, well, the half of the game I watched, the Casey, is he looks like he's moving a bit better than he, he was at the beginning of the season, Tom Munson. He looked, he looks a bit quicker, and I mean that would, he, he came back pretty early from his knee injury, so that's a real positive. He probably needs to to have a 
to a genuine sort of chance to get back in maybe at a different position. But he's an obvious in. Do we know what happened is to Buddy's appeal? Has that been? Uh, that'll be tomorrow night, tomorrow. most likely. Um, I think he'll get off. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's I, a big... I, I don't. <laughs> I don't think he's got the slightest grounds. You uh, wouldn't think so. I mean, clocked in twice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, so, and how, how you can suggest that's not intentional. I uh, think it's mm-hmm. very intentional. I think he'll, he's, he, he'll get off. He's the AFL's <laughs> darling. Well, if he does... Um, um, I'm, I'm assuming he won't get off, which is really big for us because it means that Tomlinson, you know, well, George will talk about the, the game, but Tomlinson can go to their, um, um, you know, to a tall down there um, and we would have struggled to, I mean, Tomlinson's strong, so he probably would have done a reasonable job on on Buddy, um, but May was the obvious one to, to go to Buddy. Um, so, yeah, he'll definitely come back in. I can't, I'd be surprised if Salo does, but Salo's a sort of he's he's got a level head. He's the sort of player who could you could see him slotting back in. Mm. Um, would, and, would you would you take Salo over Rivers at the moment? Yeah, he's he's not he's not playing with the same zip he was last no. year. Is he? It's, it's no. the knee. It's the knee injury. I think they didn't give him the time. I don't know. Not a obviously they know better. But. The, yeah, so I, I don't know if he'd replace him. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I think Weed will will probably come out and T Mac comes um, in. Mm-hmm. Um, but Benny Brown had a bit of a horror game as well. But you can't really drop two talls, um, and um, you know he, he won't get dropped. But it is he, um, he'll be keen for T Mac to come back in. Um, what Harms has got another week, hasn't he? No, he's no. He's, well, he he's mentioned a, him as a, being available. Right, whether available. That's, Ducks and Drakes, and so he'll come back in. There's a you know, and so Melksham will come out. You'd assume, maybe Bedford yep. back as a Medi sub. Um, Chandler, Chandler's yeah. So Chandler's he's done his two weeks, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. That's that's an interesting one. I mean, he his energy. We would have really done with his energy. The other thing about Frio's, which was impressive, is how quick they are across the ground. They really, they really use that to their advantage, didn't they? And Chandler is someone who can help in that department. Not that we're playing Frio this week, um, but Swans will look to stretch us. That's for sure. They like to play quick. So, yeah. Um, what about yeah. what, what about Petrarca if he's not available? It's a good question. Well, maybe Dunstan stays there. Huh? I'd imagine if he was crook, if he was ill, it's likely a week. Yeah, he apparently he didn't. Opposition. He didn't train today. Yeah, but that he might have had a few days off. Uh, yeah, he wasn't yeah. the but players. Just throwing that out, throwing that out there. If I'd imagine if he falls out, then um, um, the Dunstan will stay in, and um, Harms will replace Melcham. Um, that seems the logical ones for me. And T Mac, of course, comes back. Yeah, Lazy makes the good point about Harms is that he's actually really. And again, I probably underestimate. I'm probably guilty of underestimating Harms. He's been terrific this season, um, but Lazy makes a good point about he's a, he's one of our best gut runners as well. Mm. So you take him, and I forgot to include him in in my analysis before, but you take the kilometres and the gut running he take out of the side as well. You just can't replace it with someone like Dunstan. Or um, so yeah, it's going to be. I mean, it's really the opposite to the continuity that Goody likes is the sort of. Big changes, uh, four or five um, in potentially this week. That would be the first time and uh, didn't even come close to happening last season, did it? There's no need to continue the uh, form of last week. No. 
<laughs> change, 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 change. All right. Um, uh, but this week, Opposition Watch, uh, it's a massive game for the Ds uh, this week. Uh, we play another top top eight team and we want to cement our credentials and our, our place on top of the ladder. We come up against Sydney, who are coming off an up and down couple of weeks. On Friday night, they looked gone for all money early on and then remarkably came back in the second half, kicking 10 goals to four to record a six-point semi-controversial win at the SCG over the Tigers. Before, George, before you go into a bit of oppo analysis, how did you guys feel about uh, that free kick or non-free kick? Well, it was a free kick and then the 50-metre penalty that wasn't paid. Uh, fair, not fair. Would you be ropeable if it was against us? Um, I would have been ropeable. I would have totally been ropeable. But I was. Is, so, it, a, is it a fifty? I don't um, think so. I reckon no. they made the right call. I mean, come on. He's not wasting time, is he? Because that rule is for wasting time. He didn't waste any time. Yeah, but yeah. he heard the he heard the whistle go. No, he didn't hear. It. I mean, where. I was hoping they would pay it because I thought a draw, both those teams copping a draw would yeah, be awesome. Yeah, it takes, takes, yeah. Yeah, but um, I think the right call. Richmond should have won that game, though. It was, yeah. Uh, well, they coughed really, it up. Yeah. Richmond absolutely utterly choked in that game. And uh, we thought we've talked about the cliff before. I think the cliff's coming very quickly for Richmond and that the players they've depended upon to get them, you know, rightfully so, to three premierships uh, are just not there anymore. And they've, they've gone over the other side. Uh, Dusty was um, almost insignificant in the whole game. Um, he's just not not there. Cochin's at the end of the run. They haven't got a back line anymore. Um so yeah, Richmond absolutely utterly choked in that because I don't think Sydney were all that good. No, well, we're not here to talk about. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Richmond. Well, I was about to say is what Sydney did in that last quarter yeah. is what their their big ace up the sleeve is the way they can transition it so quickly from half back flank. But and Richmond couldn't go with them. Hmm. Richmond couldn't control that game. They couldn't control the tempo at all in the end. And yeah, it was Hardwick's response to that question that you just asked. Um, Andy was about that free kick. <laughs> it was it was a great answer. He said we were thirty points up. <laughs> it's yeah. like I'm not blaming that. On the, yeah, on the yeah exactly. Um, is the SCG have they extended the size of the ground, or have they just made the fifty meters smaller? Because the fifty that, used to go right up to the square, and now there's yeah. a significant I, gap. I I don't know, but. Previously, certainly in years gone by, that 50 metres was only 45 at Sydney Cricket Ground. But it used to go right up to the square. Yeah. So, yeah. so is the 50 now with 30 metres? <laughs> it could be, but I don't know. <laughs> okay. I happened to watch um, a YouTube clip of highlights that was on Demonland, I think, um, that Whispering Jack had put up, and I watched a bit of it, and there was a clip from, um, I think it was 1989 at the SCG, and the, the goal umpire was basically standing in a gap of about, it looked about 30 <laughs> centimetres between the fence and the, the line. It was, like, uh, it was pretty narrow little gap between the um, back well, of the goalposts. They must have extended the ground or they've just made all the lines shorter. Uh, anyway, yeah. uh, uh, opposition watch. Yeah. <laughs> Take it away. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I really wasn't impressed by that game as a whole, um, it was a game between two mid mid tables sides. Um, Richmond certainly shouldn't have, should have won. I don't think uh, Sydney were um, definitive in any any real way. They they depended very strongly on um, handball and overlap. They certainly the, the run and and carry type type of play. Um, 
strangely, they seem, you know, I was only watching this on television, they seem to play a one-on-one defence, um, which leaves them utterly exposed if the ball hits the ground. Um, and uh, a number of times, Sid, uh, Richmond were able to exploit that with the, with the smaller players because um, Lynch did absolutely nothing in the whole game. Uh, um, Lynch didn't play. That's right, he didn't. He really but, didn't. Uh, but it's still, yeah. it's still accurate, George. He's incredible. Yeah, exactly. Rewalt, yeah. I think you mean. Yeah, Rewalt um, did, did absolutely nothing in the whole game, but those are, those are their problems but it, it was very unusual watching a one-on-one defense the other thing that i found interesting was um previously players like mills and heaney have absolutely ripped us apart certainly um they were almost unsighted in the in the game um they were depending a lot on these younger players that they've obviously got coming through um but i don't think they're the challenge that that they really have been in the past uh, prior to this game, they'd only won one of their previous five games, and that was against Essendon, um, although they started the season all right. Um, and I, do, <clears throat> you know, this is personal, but I don't think Franklin is the great uh, bogeyman that he used to be. He, simp- he he refuses to run and chase, and he is absolutely superb. Once he gets the ball in his hand, he's kicking his um, without peer. Um, but there's a lot of work that he doesn't do um, around the... Around, um, getting the ball, he depends on others getting the ball to him. So while he kicks a lot of goals, it's because others are doing the work now. Um, will he get that opportunity against us if he plays? I don't know that he will, um, providing we've got our backline structures back in place once again. So, um, yeah, it was in- interesting to watch. But um, uh, the other interesting thing was um, uh, Laddams. Uh, was against Nankervis and Soldo as Rucks, and Laddams absolutely annihilated them. He had, um, he was heading, he was leading the contested possession getter and clearances both at half time. It was just, just incredible, um, especially when you consider who, who both Richmond and Sydney have got playing in their midfield. Um, so it was um, remarkable. I don't know whether Hickey's going to play. He was a, a late withdrawal, I think, last week. Um, but it'll be interesting to see whether they uh, actually have two two rucks again. But certainly Laddams um, rucked the whole game and it didn't stop him against two um, two very capable and big monsters of ruckmen that Richmond put up against them. So it'll be an inter- interesting game for us. Um, uh, but uh, if we've got our structures and we've got those players that we are talking about before back, um, I think we'll account for them relatively easy. The other good thing about this coming game is that Casey are going to play prior to the game so um oh wow you get to get to see a reserves game and all the others so get to the ground early and we should get a decent crowd as a result that's a great initiative <laughs> I, I i read that on demon and just thought it was terrific i i, I personally think the swans are, are overrated and um like they they rely on that quick ball ball movement and it's mm. a bit like one of those weapons that's if you can take that away it's like the dog's um, last year, if you can take that flip handball away and the way they get it outside the contest, it really neuters them. Um, and up forward, I think, I mean, it's a good week for May um, to be out if he's going to pick a week in terms of if Buddy's out because that leaves Logan McDonald as their key forward. He's, he, he looks a really terrific young player. Mm, mm. Um, and um, But, you know, they've... They rely on those midsize that might stretch us a little bit. It'll be interesting to see who they... Um, Put on Papley. Do you reckon Hunt will go to Papley, George? 
Uh, it would be, that would be the logical one here. Yeah, you'd think yeah. so. And he's a – I hate the phrase, but he's a bit of a barometer. Yeah. But he hasn't really done a great deal this year and he's a sort of player who's – he doesn't do enough, I don't think, defensively. So if he's not kicking goals, unlike Cozzy, um, you know, he's just not providing enough um, pressure. But the other – their weakness uh, – their particular model, the way they bounce off half-back flank and really look to run – um, if we are down on fitness, maybe we'll struggle a bit to, to cover that. But it's if we're anywhere close to full fitness with those players coming back, our model really is the uh, total, um, like you saw with what Richmond did for the first three quarters, is our model is really kryptonite um, to that fastball movement and they'll, they'll struggle to do it. But the other big one is, I mean, much will depend on hopefully track is okay, but their midfield is young and they've deliberately done that this year. They're blooding a lot of young players through their midfield um, and, you know, our midfield should physically smash theirs and um, it'll be interesting to see their response this week after a loss. That's the other thing that, you know, the monkey off the back a little bit of a lot. It's a weird reverse monkey, but, um, you know, they'll... You know, it'll be an interesting experience for them after so many wins to come into a match having lost a game. Um, and, you know, you wait. If we lose this game, the um, pundits will be all over Melbourne, you know, after the week. And I reckon Andy's MFCSS will have, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll have an eruption of blue and red spots all over his face. So. <laughs> um, yes. Got a cream for that. <laughs> having said that, I, I thought... When I watched the last season again during the off-season, that Sydney game at the G last year was just about our toughest game all season physically. They really um, served it up to us. But, you know, I watched a few of their games this year. They don't strike me as physically at teams as, as much as they were last year. Well, certainly in the last, as you said, George, last five games have won that one. They've dropped off quite a bit in the last four or five weeks in terms of their contested ball and the, and the way they're going into contests. Well, I think we're going to – I think we'll leave it there for tonight. Thank you, George. Thank you, Bim Man. Thank you to our caller. I forgot your name. Apologies for that. And thank Nilo, you. I think. Is it Nilo? No. Didn't quite catch it either, Nilo. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Doesn't matter. Call back next week uh, and one day you might, uh, like Bim Man, be a co-host of this show. Uh, thank you all for listening to us. Uh, we'll be back next week, hopefully discussing a return to the winners list. Uh, go Demons. Go Red Legs.